The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Let's find our Bibles and stand up. Children are dismissed at Children's Church, fourth grade and below if you'd like. Otherwise, stay on in and we'll get right to the Word. Find Matthew chapter number 16. I'm very excited to share with you. I'm going to get right to the message and save uh, more of the uh, talking about the theme even tonight. I'm going to preach on the theme uh, right now, and then tonight we'll kind of, we'll kind of apply it. How's this going to look for us practically this year? As far as we know, uh, last year we made some plans, and you know what? A lot of them got disrupted, but you know that we continue to meet together, we continue to gather around the Word of God, we continue to see people saved and baptized, we continue to minister to one another, and we continue to be the church. And uh, God is going to continue to build His church just this year as He's promised. Matthew chapter number 16, let me get my Bible, that would be important, wouldn't it? Matthew chapter number 16, we're going to read a portion of what we're going to preach from this morning, Matthew chapter number 16 and verse number 13. The Bible says this, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? It's a good question. Verse number 14, And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, Elisha, others Jeremiah, or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom do ye say that I am? All right, guys, I don't want to know what the public opinion is. I want to know what you as my followers say that I am. This is a very important question. In fact, if you've not yet answered this question in your own heart, I hope that you will today. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Who is Jesus Christ to you? Verse 16, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's say that part together. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. In other words, he said, you didn't get this from CNN, you didn't get it from Fox, you didn't get it from anywhere else on, the, on, the, on TV or the news media, you didn't get it out in the public streets, you found this or you received this from God the Father. You, this is a spiritual truth that God has dawned upon your heart. Verse 18 and so Jesus says, based on that, and I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he charged his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Well, that seems interesting. Why? He tells us to broadcast it from the mountaintops. Why did he tell him this? We're not going to read the last few verses. We're going to save that for the final, um, final point this morning. But just realize Jesus has made us an incredible promise this morning. He says, I will build my church. And that's a promise that you and I need to tuck into our hearts. We need to walk upon every single day. We need to realize we're not a part of something that's dying or going out of style. It is something that Jesus says, I will build, and I will continue to build until I come and take the church home. And so would you pray and ask God to open these truths, just illuminate this in your heart this morning with me. Father, thank you for giving us your word. We're not worthy of it. it is, it's so precious. And Lord, it speaks to our day right now. 
And it helps us to live. And so we just thank you for in your mercy giving us your word. And we thank you for this promise that you've given to us. Help us to take you at your word and walk in it. Even this week, I pray that you would settle the fear in hearts, that you would settle the anxiety and all these different things that might be swirling around in our minds. Would you even settle the 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 desire, the heart desire to go chasing after the world and the allurements and an easier, simpler and, and maybe a normal life and help us to realize this promise has to do with us right now. And Lord, would you speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. And you may be seated. You saw a picture there in uh, when my wife and I were in India, and uh, that was a, a very special trip. Um, I didn't know what to expect. I haven't done a lot of missions trips, but I, I knew that it would be one in which I would learn a lot of things. And even as I, I was reviewing some of the things I journaled down this past week, uh, I, I noted in there that I believe I'm going to be the greatest student, even though I was going to go preach to, to, uh, to pastors over there from across India, I knew that I was going to be the greatest student, and I was. Um, while we were there, I, the Lord taught me some lessons that frankly, I continue to chew on uh, nearly daily. Um, even what we're talking about this morning really was born out of some of uh, what I experienced over there. When I walked into uh, the, the first chapel and uh, began to hear the, the believers over there sing, I, I quickly realized I've never heard singing of God's people anywhere in the world like that, anywhere in, in, in the United States like that. And it wasn't that they were professional or they had a show. It was just God's people gathered just like us, singing as if, as if every word meant something to them. And uh, I, I, I racked my brain. We got to the first evening service of the conference. The first chapel was the, the students gathered together, and their singing was amazing. But we got to the first service. I guess it was the morning service. And they sang a song that was actually sung at our, our wedding, Holy is He, and uh, mixed with this, um, the song, Holy, Holy, Holy. And um, I was sitting on the front row, and the choir was singing, and I, I absolutely broke down. I, I, I lost control emotionally, and I, I'm not saying that for any, any other reason. That I was just so overtaken by how the church there... Um, felt about Jesus. I'd never seen anything like it. Knowing that pastors had traveled and had traveled across India, knowing full well that the, the Bibles they carried and the message they preached could indeed cost them imprisonment, persecution, or death. When my wife and I left um, the the morning before we left, I, I downloaded uh, some things onto a flash drive and, and left it, and this might sound a little bit weird to you, but I knew we were going into the 10th most dangerous country in the world for believers. I, I knew the, the process. I knew that it was, I, I understood that there was some risk involved, but I knew that the Lord wanted us to go. We had been invited to go um, with, the, with, the, with the ministry there with Brother, uh, Brother Ken and uh, we're looking forward to this, but I, I, I left behind uh, some videos in case I did not come back and my wife did the same. Um, and you say, well, that's, that's drama. I, I didn't know. I, I, I knew of a pastor that went over there and got, uh, got arrested and, and uh, an American pastor. I, I didn't know. I didn't know. It, it's, a, it's a persecuted country. Top, uh, tenth on the, the top ten list. 
four most, uh, four most dangerous countries in the world. As we stepped into that and drove onto that, that campus and, and you're driving at night, but uh, that Monday morning we were able to drive through and see the, the, the squalor, the poverty, the, just the, the ravages of Satan on a society. And you drive onto a campus that has made Jesus Christ Lord and preeminent for 25 years and has called people together to, to learn the Bible and to, to pr go out and preach the gospel in this, in this persecuted, um, persecuted country, you realize God makes such a difference in the life. The, the campus was pristinely beautiful because Jesus makes everything beautiful in our lives, not just our, our inner lives, but he causes us to keep our houses differently than the, the world does. He causes us to keep a building differently than the world does. Why? Because he is extremely beautiful, and when we follow him, everything in our lives becomes, becomes excellent. That's, that's, his, that's his goal. And, I mean, I have never seen a paradise like I, I was on, and, and God had given them a well um, by miracle um, when, when all the Hindus around said it's not, it's not possible, but God uh, helped them to tap into a lake that's been watering that land for 25 years and declaring the glory of God in the midst of a desert at the southern part of India. And, uh, and the, not just the, the landscape and all that, but the people, their, their hearts, the believers, their hearts were just so enraptured with, with God. And I'm like, this is amazing. And so as the pastors started to come in and they, they throng in and they're singing, it is well with my soul. And they're, 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 they're emotionally responding to this. This isn't just something that I'll take the hymnal, stand up page 100, 417, let's sing it is well with my soul in pomp and you know, in certain form, um, formal style. They were singing as if this was, this was real to them. It was just, it was there and it just gripped my heart. And I, as we were going through this time and began to preach, there's pastors there that faced persecution and literally had been threatened to have their lives taken and listening, sitting down and opening up their Bibles, taking notes from an American 36-year-old pastor who knows nothing of persecution, and they're hanging on every word. They're not looking at the clocks. They're hanging on every word. They just want the Bible. They want the Word of God, and it's feeding their soul, and you can see it. And I, feel I can visibly remember one, one man whose wife, for three years, they would be separated while she worked in another country, gaining the money that they needed to buy a parcel of ground so that they could start a church in their city. When I returned, I could say a lot more. But when I returned, I, uh, I preached a message to you all that Christ is still building his church. And I've gone back through some notes and I realized that God has been consistently impressing on my heart throughout this past year. I'm building my church. I'm building my church. I'm building my church. That leads us through the book of Acts. Before I go on, I had some pictures that I wanted to show you. Corbin, would you, would you throw up some of those India pictures, the, the one with the three guys? There's some pastors going back to their dorms. That's one of my favorite pictures out of that. Labors into the harvest field. These three guys, three young men not married, we want to reach India with the gospel. They're three evangelists going out throughout India. What an amazing, an amazing experience. But God put me there for a reason. And he taught me a lesson there that he is building his church. And he's building it all around the world. And he doesn't need 
peace in a, in a country in order to build his church. He doesn't need a conservative in the White House in order to build his church. He doesn't need freedom of religion in order to build his church. He doesn't need freedom of speech. He has promised that he would build his church. And God taught me that there. As we've gone through the book of Acts, October 25th of this year, I preached another message from the book of Acts after all the persecution that came down on the church. And the title of that message was, Christ keeps building his church. The world comes up against it, and he just keeps building his church. Do you remember? The church rises above all of that, just continues to move on unscathed. Why? Because the Christ keeps building his church. He consistently um, makes his promise to be coming true. And so I want us to realize uh, this year and focus on it. I believe more than ever God has said, hey, Grace Baptist Church, I want you to remember something. I'm going to build my church. And it doesn't matter what's going on in the United States around you. It doesn't matter all the corruption that you see and isn't being brought to justice. It doesn't matter any of that. I want you to know I am building my church and I'm going to do it through you. You know what happened with his disciples? They're hanging out with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees, that religious elite, right? Form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. Those type of guys, constantly finding something to criticize Jesus about, which is what religion does to true Christianity all the time. And you watch, it's coming. You watch. You watch. But he's hanging out, and they're like, oh, like, Jesus, you need to give us a sign of who you really are. You need to really just come clean with us and, and let us know who you truly are. Like, haven't you seen my miracles? Like, are you blind? Yeah, they were. So as they leave this moment in the book of Matthew chapter 16, his disciples are warned by, by Jesus Christ Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. What was he saying? Beware of the false doctrine of the Pharisees that perverts and corrupts who I truly am and questions it and brings the same question that Eve, uh, Eve got in the Garden of Eden. Has God's word really said? That's exactly what Satan does right now. Who's really Jesus? Is he really going to come back and get you? Is he, really, is he really worth following in the world? And so this, this goes on and on. And so they were questioning. They were startling. Religion can be a mouthpiece for Satan. If you've happened in here and you don't know Jesus Christ, we are not for religion. The people here that are walking with God, uh, they are learning what it is to walk in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We are not here because we have to check this off of a to-do list. We do not need to be here just for an hour long and then we've done our religious duty. We didn't have to sing any one of these songs in order, to, in order to please Jesus anymore. The reason we sang this morning is because we want to sing back to him. The reason we're here is because we want to be here. We want to be in his presence. We want to be with those that call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're not checking this off. And so religion oftentimes they just stirs up and, and perverts and twists Bible Christianity. All around the world it's doing that. And I have a feeling that it is going to come full circle right now in, a, in our country. You watch the bigwigs in religion as they, as they come full circle on the church of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is there, and he's, he's warning them, hey, be, beware. 
And I say to you, beware of anyone who perverts the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who raises Mary higher than Jesus Christ. Uh, beware of anyone who says, hey, hey, Jesus is the brother of Satan. Beware of anyone who says Jesus became God. He's not always been God. Beware of anyone who says he's just a man, a, a good teacher, good moral teacher. Beware. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying to them. Beware. Beware. Because they're questioning my, my doctrine. Beware of this. So what does he do? He takes them 20 on a 25-mile excursion out of the way. They didn't hop into their, into their, uh, in their Toyota or their chariot. They, they, they walked up there 25 miles out of the way. Why in the world would Jesus do this? He takes them from around the Sea of Galilee all the way up to Caesarea Philippi. Why would he take them all the way up there? Because of the next picture I want to show you, he took them to this place, this place that was known. And I want you to catch this. Give us the next picture. Caesarea Philippi. Get that picture in your mind. In fact, it's on the front of your bulletins. It's, it is what provides the bottom of our, uh, of our theme picture, this is Caesarea Philippi. And at this place where some of you will recognize these truths or these, these historical facts, but is where Jeroboam decided that he would set up an altar, an alternative altar. Do you remember that in the Old Testament? And where he would worship wrongly and God would send a prophet and say, hey, you're wrong. And so he set up, because he didn't want the people leaving, he set up something there, and God called, called him on it. And this is the exact place where this was happening. This, this pseudo-religion, or, or could I say a, a false or a fake religion that, that was going on there in the Old Testament days. But then if we fast forward, now it was the place where the God Pan was worshipped, and incredible evil happened there at the site of that cave, which is called the Gate to the Underworld. In fact, they believed that, that spirits would go down into the underworld and they would come back in the springtime. And in order to get them to go back, they would go to, the, go to that spot and commit all sorts of immoral acts. You could consider this to be the red light district uh, of, of, of that time. It was an immensely evil place and it was all done in the name of religion. And so Jesus there, no doubt his disciples were a little uncomfortable. Their skin probably crawled in that place. I remember on our way back uh, to the airport in India, I remember going through a certain segment of town. There was loud, loud music, eerie, ominously everywhere music. I don't know where it was coming from, but it was, it was loud. And I literally began to pray Psalm 23 because it was so oppressive going through there. I can only imagine the oppression, the demonic oppression that was going on there. So he chooses this specific place to make a promise to his disciples about what he was going to do in the world. The, the religions, and there's like 4,200 religions in the world. And they're all against the Lord Jesus Christ. They're, they're, they oppose they oppose him, and that's a very interesting thing. When, when, when all of them, they, they, they focus on one, it's a pretty, pretty good indicator that it's the right one. So you have Jesus here standing in front of this place that was known for its fake religion in the Old Testament, its current paganism right now. And he says, guys, I want you to know something. I'm Jesus Christ. I'm going to build my church. And the gates of 
hell are not going to prevail against it. All right, so what does Jesus do? He sets the stage. He's there. He, he, is a, he is a grand object lesson user. I know I didn't. I just murdered that for all you English people. You know what I, you know what I mean. He, he uses object lessons in such an amazing way. And he's there. He set the stage. I mean, he used object lessons like, uh, I just amaze it sometimes at how he does it. But he set the stage, and here's where he goes first with his disciples. Guys, I want, you, I want to ask you a question. Who, uh, who out there, what do, they, what do they say about me? Who are they saying I am? That's a good question. He asked him. So I want us to notice, first of all, as Jesus begins to pull his disciples through this, he deals with his person, the person of Jesus. Who do they say that I am? And you know what? We immediately, right off the bat, get from, from him that there is confusion about the person of Jesus Christ. Now, has anything changed, friends? No. There's still today confusion, and it is one of the ways that Satan keeps people in blindness by keeping them confused about who Jesus truly is. And so there's great confusion. He says, oh, who do they say that I am? Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elias. Some say Jeremiah. Some say uh, another prophet. They don't know who this guy is. I can just imagine the reporters on, on the evening news as they, uh, who do you think this guy that's going around doing all those miracles are? Well, uh, we think we have it on good account that he's John the Baptist raised back from the dead. They didn't know anything back then as much as they don't know now. And you know, it's just, it's just amazing how much confusion there was around the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. How confused the multitudes were about Christ, Wearsby says. They held him in high esteem, ranking him with the great prophets, but they lacked the perception to see that he was the living Son of God. Nothing's changed. And people are confused about who Jesus Christ is. Even this week, people are confused about who Jesus Christ is. And friends, let me just say something. You can be a conservative and can be confused about who Jesus Christ is. Do you understand that? Friends, if your perception of who Jesus Christ is is not formed by this book, you have the wrong perception of Jesus Christ. And so nothing has changed. In fact, as we see and we learned in Sunday school how that God began to be taken out of the public square and the Ten Commandments ripped off the walls and, the, and, and prayer not allowed in, in school in a, in a public way and this stuff happens even right within our own city. It's all right if you, bring a, if you bring the Quran to school, but it's not all right if you bring the Bible to school. You say, well, that's not enough. No, right here within a mile of Grace Baptist Church. Do you realize that there is an assault against the Word of God? And here's the, the matter. There's an assault against the person of the Word of God, which is Jesus Christ. 52% of American adults believe that Jesus was a great teacher. Nothing more. That is a survey done this year by Lifeway Research. Do you realize the tide is shifting away? Why? Because we took the Word of God out of the public square. And so right now, we all, we are all like, what in the world's going on? This is exactly what happens when you, you reject God. And so 52% are saying, more than half are saying, hey, we don't know who he is. And, and for good reason, they don't know who he is. They haven't been told. They haven't had the chance to look into the word. We had someone come into our church just in the last couple of weeks that had never had a Bible. Do you realize when we give away the first Bible to somebody, that says something about the people right in our own community? That's a problem. 
It's a problem for us. We have work to do. So there's confusion about Jesus Christ. But look at verse number 15. The confession of Peter was, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This was earth shattering in that culture. No one believed this about Jesus Christ. He, he rises right above, above everything else. And he says, you are the son, Christ, the son of the living God. What does this mean? Christ is the anointed one. The promised one. There's a notable uh, Jewish man in our in, in, uh, live and well, uh, well today. He produces a lot of instructional videos, but he's writing the commentary on the Bible. He, and he quickly says, I'm not a Christian. I love Christians. I'm not a Christian. I'm a Jew. I'm not a believer in Jesus Christ. But he's writing a, a commentary on the, on the Old Testament, right? Do you know why? Because to the average Jewish person, they believe the Old Testament, and they believe they're still looking for the Messiah. And what um, Peter says is, listen, well, I see him right standing in front of me. You're him. You're him. That's what he was saying. Do you see how earth-shattering that was to even the, the, the Pharisees? They didn't believe that. They thought, well, you know, he's just a man that's really stirring up. He'll pass off the scenes after a while. Uh, he's, just a, he's just a man. No, you're the Messiah. You're the one that God promised beginning in Genesis 3 and verse number 15 that he would send into the world to take the sin of all mankind. And then he adds on, you're the son of the living God. I have no doubt right there as they were in that spot that there were little shrines everywhere to the God pan. And they could look to this uh, statue, which, by the way, God says not to make any graven images. That's his Ten Commandments. And still today, there are churches that, that make graven images and worship them and bow down to them and kiss them. And listen, it's still wrong because it's still wrong in the Bible. The Ten Commandments say, thou shalt not make any graven images. They're not to be set before God. But all around, I can just imagine, as Peter said this, you're the son of the living God, as opposed to all of these dead gods. And the fact is, they're still dead gods, and it doesn't have to be a statue in order to be a god. The god can be right inside of your back pocket. The god can be right here inside of your, your phone. The God can be pornography. The God can be entertainment. The God can be a relationship. The God can be sports. The God can be so many different things in our, in our life. Our American lifestyle, our normal. There's some Christians that are idolizing normal right now. Oh, if we could just get back to normal. Listen, we aren't going back to normal. Oh, that's so discouraging. No, it's not discouraging if you have your eyes in the right place. And so he, all these dead gods are around there, and the gods are still dead today. And he says, listen, Peter, blessed art thou, because you did not get this on the streets. You heard this from God. Your heart was open to the God the Father, and you heard him dawn upon your heart. This is Christ, the Son of the living God. God had convinced Peter. And listen, if you're going to be convinced of who Jesus Christ is, it will be God. The Bible says this, John 6, 44 no man can come to me except the Father which sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Listen, when Jesus was put on the cross, he raised him up in front of all the world so that all the world could see and all the world could be drawn to himself. The Father at Calvary began to woo and draw your spirit because of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for you. No one died in your place. No one took, uh, took the penalty of the cross, the cursed penalty of the cross, for you except the Lord Jesus Christ. And he lifts him up and says, won't you look at my love for you? Won't you look? And he begins to woo your heart. 
The confession of Peter was essential to his salvation. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Aren't there multiple ways to heaven? Can't a Muslim, if they're really sincere, go to heaven? No. You say that is so narrow-minded, that's so, that's so anti-political. Listen, it is biblical, and that is what is coming into conflict with our culture. Our, our country used to believe this book. The only way to heaven, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It is not more clear than that. If you think you're going to get to heaven through your good works, you will not go to heaven. You say, that is so unloving. No, I am telling you that so that I can show you my love because you die. The next moment you're going to stand before God the Father and you say, what did you do with my son Jesus who I sent to be the, the answer to your sin? Well, I, I thought it was, uh, I had to work for it. No, I told you. Remember that preacher? I told you. It was through Jesus Christ alone. This was essential to his salvation. I ask you, have you confessed Jesus Christ? I think it's a really good time in our, uh, in our, in our world for, for believers. Uh, where am I with the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I just been doing this go to church thing just because that's the thing to do? Am I resting in my, my checking off a to-do list? Or do I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Do I truly know him? I'm not trying to get you to doubt anything, but I do think that we ought to take a, uh, take a pause and not just, not just kind of be flipping about it. Yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. So much of the world is. Have you confessed Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, the Messiah, the one come to take away your sin? If we're unclear about who Jesus Christ is, we'll be unclear about the mission and nature of the church. You and me. If we don't have a rock solid in our heart that what we're doing today is we're gathering around the Lord Jesus Christ, we are his body. If we're unclear about who he is, we will be unclear about what Grace Baptist Church is doing in the world right now. Should we just hide and uh, run away? Well, let me ask you a question. Did Jesus hide and run away when trouble um, faced him? Did he want to write from the cross? No. Jesus based his promise on who he was. I should say who he is. Notice the promise of Jesus in verse number 18. I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. What was he saying there? I know you're Peter. <laughs> Lord, I know, I know I'm Peter. Like, I grew up with this name. You see that? But Jesus was saying something. Peter's name meant, meant stone or pebble. That's, that's what it meant. It was a nickname. And here's where so much false doctrine erupts. The word this, notice he says, Thou art Peter, you're, you're a stone, you're a pebble. Okay, Peter, but I want you to show you something. God uses a play on words or a word picture. He says, upon this rock. You notice that? Say that with me. Upon this rock. This refers not to Peter, but back to what Peter's confession was. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
upon this rock, upon this body of truth, upon what you've just confessed. You say, well, hold on. I, I've always heard that Peter was the foundation of the church. He was the first pope, and I, I, I've heard that. And I, uh, what, what's going on here? I want you to take the words of Peter later on in the Bible, 1 Peter 2 and verse number 5. Ye also, speaking to the church, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, an offer up of spiritual sacrifices acceptable unto God by Christ Jesus. And Peter reiterates in that passage, he says, I want you to know that we are lively stones. We're not the foundation. We're lively stones built upon the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see more about that in a moment. And so this, this, uh, this refers back to Peter's confession, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. This word rock that Jesus uses upon this rock I will build my church depicts uh, not a stone, but bedrock. Foundation, something that isn't going away. He says, upon this rock, upon this body of doctrine that you've just espoused, that you've just declared, upon this rock, who I am, I will build my church. You say, I, I need more proof. First on Corinthians 10 verse 4, and did all drink, talking to believers, of the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Mark it down in your minds if you've been taught that, that, that Peter was the foundation of the church or the first pope. Just understand, Jesus says right here, no, 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 no man is the first pope. No man is the foundation or the, uh, the leader of the church. I am the foundation of the church. I am he. And who I am is the foundation upon which the church will be built. Think about this foundation. It's the deity of Jesus Christ. The deity of Jesus Christ. I am God, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the God bodily, of the Godhead bodily. So in Jesus Christ, all the fullness, all that God is was dwelling in him. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And so we can understand this, that, that Jesus was declaring or accepting this uh, uh, confession by Peter. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are absolutely God. And he received that. And he, uh, I want to I remind you that when Jesus himself declared him to be the son of God, that the, the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders took up stones to threaten him because he had made himself equal with God by making that statement. I'm the son of God. It's not like I came from God in the sense that I was, I was born. It, 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 he was making himself equal with God. So he says, my deity is this rock upon which I'm going to build my church. So... As we look around, many people say they're gods. Many propose to have a word from God. Even someone I've really found just very interesting, maybe you have as well, but there are so many people that have just come out. I got a word from God in a dream. If we were in the Old Testament, there would be a lot of dead people right now. Because the prophets of the Old Testament, if their word did not come true, they were shown to be false. We have the word of God right here. It's forever settled in heaven. It is forever settled. It's certain, it's true, it's, it is absolute. And he says, listen, I am God. I am God. That means Joseph Smith isn't God. Pope Francis is, is not God. No, uh, no, there is no Holy Father but God the Father. And I'm not saying that to disparage. I respect people, and I'm not at all. I hope that that causes the mind to work. But just realize that Satan has blinded our eyes, and he has caused us to look at and be enamored with religion and says, this is it, this is it. And Jesus says, no, 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 I am God. 
And upon this rock, I will build my church. Buddha's not God. The government, friends, is not God. And you mark it down, the, the communist government, the communism, the thought process of communism is all you need is from us. We will be your God. Do you understand right now our country is in the balances? Because for years we have stood up as a Christian nation. Remember, President Obama said years ago, he said this, we are not a Christian nation. That was a statement because he knew where we were, where we were trying to go. And do you realize we have been stepping away from God and now we are being threatened with socialism and communism? Do you understand? This is nothing more than a replacement for God. The deity of Christ, this is important. you got to get a hold of this or you're going you're gonna to waver over the next, week, uh, next year. You're going to waver over the next 12 days. He says, I'm going to build my church. It's not going away. I do not care if they take, I don't care if they take, face, uh, take our Facebook down from, from the church. We don't have to live stream anymore in order to be a church. Do you know that? We don't have to do any of this. It is built on the solid foundation I'm God. That doesn't go away. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I am God from A to Z. I'm everything in between two. But I want you to catch something here. It's not just the deity of God. Who is Jesus Christ? He's the word of God, John chapter 1 and verse number 1. Do you realize the church is to be built on the word of God? This is our playbook, not the creed of man, not the, the, the speakings of man now, not the prophecies. There's preachers getting up in pulpits like this, and they're saying, I have a word from the Lord I got last night in a dream. Friends, run out of the church. Like, that's, that's crazy talk. It's not true. It's lies from Satan. This is the word of God. This is truth. Any man that says, I have a new truth. No, nope, it's right here. This is it. You say, why isn't everyone swarming to this? Satan has blinded their eyes. That's why Jesus said, you and me are lights. The most important activity that we as a church will engage in is the preaching of God's word and the gathering around God's word. I, maybe you'll find this interesting, maybe not. Sometimes I'm uh, talk to a bunch of pastors like, well, how long do you preach on Sunday morning? And how long is the optimal message? Friends, we need revival when we cannot stomach being together around God's word for, for a length of time longer than a movie. You know, average movies are like 90 plus minutes long. And God's people will go home on Sunday afternoons and Sunday evenings and watch movies, but then there's times where they complain about, well, how, how long is the service? We got a problem. We got a huge appetite problem. We need more of the Word of God. America and the church is not where it is because of too much preaching. Your Christian life is not where you are because you've been preached to too much. Now, I will say, there's some preaching. There's some preaching that, that, that just slices and dices. I hope you realize that my passion this morning is about who Jesus Christ is. There's some preaching that slices and dices, and I've watched some of those clips, and boy, the, uh, those preachers will give, give account for that. And, 
I pray that God will help me not to say that type of stuff that would hurt people. But you know what? If we gather around the word of God, we need more of this, not less of this. We need more services, not less. We need more opportunity. Friends, even as I look at this audience, you know that our, that our world has now gotten to the point where they're a little bit afraid to be in, in audiences. Do you know what? There might come a time where we need to add some services so that we can communicate the word to more people. Why? Because this is what will save hearts. This is what's going to change your life. This is what is going to help you go from darkness to light. This is what's going to help you to be Christ-like. This is what is going to make you the best church member in the world. You say, well, how can I be a good church member? Read the Bible. So it's the word of God that it's based upon. It's the bedrock. And the bedrock is Jesus Christ and his person and his word. Now, therefore, you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow, serve, um, fellow citizens with the saints in the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now, notice something. Jesus had a special ministry for his apostles. They went out and blazed the trail. They didn't have the full word of God. God was going to use them to, to write down the word of God and issue it to the church. There are no more apostles today. That is clear from Scripture. They had to see Christ in, uh, in his ministry. They had to witness all of his ministry. So if you go by a church that says, hey, we have an apostle, they are wrong. And it's not because Josiah Kagan says so. It's because the Bible says so. Now, God used them as a, a foundation, but notice what the rest of the verse says. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Again, the picture that it all rests on Jesus Christ. And without Jesus Christ, it all comes crumbling down. So we begin to waffle on who we believe Jesus Christ is. The whole thing comes crumbling down. The whole thing. We have no reason to be together. Go home if we don't believe Jesus Christ is God. And if we aren't convinced of that in our spirit and if we've not confessed it. We have no reason to be together except for the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in this place. He promised, I'm the bedrock. But then in verse 18, he promised, I'm the builder. These are his words, not ours. I am the builder. Jesus Christ, the one who created all things. Jesus Christ, who will destroy all the rebellious nations of the world with one word of his mouth. Revelation chapter 19. Jesus Christ himself, the son of the living God, promised, I will build my church. It didn't come from man. It came from him. He was going to be the one that would put people together and form his body, the church. He would put the gifts together. He would uh, compile them together. And he would make this assembly, this living assembly called the church. And that's exactly what the church definition is. An assembly called out from the world to Jesus Christ. It's a local assembly. We are a church Church isn't just this nebulous thing. It's a local assembly gathering together uh, for, uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ called out of the world. It's made up of saved and baptized believers, people who have trusted Jesus Christ by faith alone. And it's made up of those who have identified with Jesus Christ in baptism and say, I have decided to follow Jesus. If you've not yet become a formal part of our church family, could I encourage you, make that one of your first steps this year, that you're going to join this church. You say, I haven't been baptized yet. Get baptized next Sunday morning. Why are you waiting around to declare that you've trusted in Jesus Christ? Declare to the world, I've decided to follow Jesus. He's changing my life. You don't have to be perfect to get baptized. 
All it's saying is, listen, I have decided to follow Jesus. And so here it is. We have this, this gathering, this assembly of saved and baptized believers. The New Testament church is a local physical assembly until we all get to heaven. And one day that's going to happen when we all gather together as a body of Christ and sing around the throne. Can you imagine that day? He says, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to keep compiling it. And you know what? Every time he adds somebody to our number, every time he grows you spiritually, he builds his church. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if this year God added to our number? You say, Pastor, you mentioned a moment ago about adding a service. That's something I haven't thought of before. Well, what happens if we made some more room for Christ to add to his church? Say, that sounds like work. Aren't you willing to sacrifice something for Jesus? And so... As he adds people to his church, he grows his church. You know, every time a person gets saved and added to the church, another gift is added to that church, enabling them to do something more for the Lord Jesus Christ because he perfectly gifts and he stitches it together just like our bodies. Now, some of your bodies don't work very well. We got arthritis. I was at my doctor this week. He goes, I said, I have a pain in my neck. You know, it just don't go away. And he goes, you know, it's probably something like arthritis. Like, what in the world? I'm 36 years old. You aren't supposed to be saying that yet. But Jesus perfectly fits this together. And sometimes churches get arthritis, right? And some, you know, some, one of those members is just a pain in the neck, right? You know, just how, how it goes. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is Christ is stitching us together. We're not perfect. If you come here expecting, oh, you guys all look so nice and, and it's all put together. No, we are not perfect. This is not a social club. This is not a, a gathering of the elites. This is not super uh, spiritual people all gathering together. We are broken, messed up people gathering together because we know Jesus can fix us. So, it's a physical assembly that Jesus himself is building. But let me ask you a question. Do you want Jesus to build his assembly here this year? Can I... Can I, once again, I told you I was going to do this. Can I encourage you? I, I want to challenge you in some specific ways. But unless you want to be here till 4 o'clock this afternoon, I, I'm going to take a break at some point, and we're going to come back tonight. <laughs> right? But here's, here's the thing. The reason we call this Vision Sunday is because, I, 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 in, in essence, I want, to, I want to dump on us something that the Lord begins cultivating in the heart and say, listen, it, it, it's beyond us, but let's lift up our eyes from the mundane and let's look out there. Let's see that there's something greater to be shooting at this year. 2021 hasn't started really grand. It didn't give us as long as coronavirus did before it came into the, you know, and like we, we didn't have a couple months segue, you know, honeymoon with uh, on, on 2021. We didn't have that. Just started off. It was, it was messed up from the beginning. And, and people are like, oh, it's going to get back to normal. Listen, if we get our eyes in the right place, we can realize this can be a tremendous, awesome year in the Lord. And I believe it. So he says, all right, I'm going to build my church. And then he says, verse 18, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What is that saying? Listen, Jesus, I, I can only imagine him pointing back to the gate of the underworld and saying, listen, and the gate of hell. Give us that picture again. The gate of hell, the gate of the underworld, it will not prevail against What was he saying in that moment? He's saying, listen, death itself will not stop the church from progressing and being built. You say, whose death? He's going to talk about that in that portion we didn't read. He began to talk to them about all that, all that was going to happen around his crucifixion and resurrection. 
And he says, listen, death itself. You guys are going to be wondering, oh, what do we do now? Jesus is gone. He's in the grave. What are we going to do now? He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What are we going to do now? A pastor died and what's the church going to do now? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Death does not stop the church. There are two certain things in life, death and... Do you guys pay taxes? <laughs> so here, here, here's the matter. Death and taxes are the reality of our lives. More, if, you work a, if you work a job, you're going to find that there's something that was taken out of your paycheck, right? Death and taxes. And Jesus says, death itself is not going to stop me. Do you realize the, the power of that statement? So this year, what is Jesus, what has Satan tried to uh, intimidate the church with? I'm going to ask you this question. What is what has Satan tried to intimidate the church with this year? Fear? What else? If you go to church, you're going to die. And there are churches still not meeting. You realize the reason we're meeting is not because we, we think we're something special. It's because we, we're meeting for him. And this isn't a matter of, in fact, if, 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 if death is, is that bad, then we have all the more reason to be meeting right now. Because do you realize of the 300 plus thousand people that they say have died? Do you realize that if 85% of them did not know the Lord Jesus Christ, some 250,000 people are burning in hell right now after this year from dying from a virus? Do you realize the church being separated and shut down and, and, and silenced is not a good thing for the world. It's a great thing for Satan, but not a good thing for the world and not a good thing for the cause of Christ. The reason we're gathered together is not because we're trying to spite the government. The reason we are gathered together is because I have a mission that is much greater than the government. I have a mission that's much greater than anything else going on in this world. We trying to be stupid? No. We fogged just yesterday in here trying to make sure this place is sanitized. As you walk in, making sure it's sanitized. We try to use our brains. God gave us brains to use. But at the end of the day, do you realize that you smell things? The things that you smell are much larger than the viruses much larger than the viruses that float around. It's imperceptible to our eyes. And what has Satan done? If you, if you don't stay just bound up, and, 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 and if you don't stay away from everything, you're going to die. And what has he done? He has, he has made us to be afraid of death. You know, Jesus has the power to take you home. And he takes you home via coronavirus. What in the world have you lost? Heaven doesn't have coronavirus. Now, we have folks that have had it, spent their time, come back. Lord protected them through it. You know the Lord's able to do that. But what has Satan done? He's caused us to be afraid of death. And what did Jesus already tell us? Death is not what stops the church. So he says, not death itself is going to stop 
me from building my church. And friends, as long as we have a leader like that, what in the world do we have to fear? What in the world are we fearing for? Did not say let's be stupid. God gives us common sense. He also gave us the Holy Spirit of God inside of us to guide us into all truth. And that's not just as we're reading this. He gives us the Holy Spirit of God inside of us to guide us into what is really true out in society. And there's a lot of falsehood going around. The Holy Spirit's working, I don't mean this in a, in a wrong way, but working overtime in, in having to give us as believers understanding. He gives to Peter a stewardship in verse 19. He says, I give thee keys of the kingdom, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. I want us to realize as he gives him the keys, he was not giving him ownership. He was giving him stewardship. That same stewardship that he would give to all, uh, all believers, all disciples in John 21, 23. You and I have a stewardship in this. Do you realize some people think, oh, I don't do anything in the church. My part doesn't matter. Every time you're absent or you're disengaged from the body, you are defaulting on your stewardship. God intends to use you in some way, in some way this morning to help somebody else in this body. God did not add you to this body because you are an unnecessary part. And he gave a great stewardship to the apostles, but he gives that stewardship to us. We are stewards of this. Will Grace Baptist Church be stronger on January 1st, 2022? I don't know. It depends on what we do. He said he will build his church. There are some people that Jesus has to drag along in this process. Oh, let's not be like that. Let's accept that stewardship that he has given to us and run with it. And that leads us, well, how in the world is Jesus going to do this? It sounds like Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, so you're all going to just sit back in the stadium and watch. That's what some believers try to do. Right? We sit back, and we've all been guilty of that, okay? Like, right? We've all been like, oh, you know, just, just it's too much work. So we've, we've all been there. I'm not, I'm not just, I'm not trying to crush you. I, I am saying that Jesus said, I will build my church, does not, does not give us an excuse to be passive in what he's doing in this day. And he brings it out. So the very next part, if you can bear with me, you with me still? Do you need to stand up? You need to sing a song? Listen, this is a really great part. Because a lot of times we stop our messages here at this part of the passage. Okay, but Jesus, context means everything. He started with, they're questioning who I am. He teaches them this, and then he says how I'm going to do it. Notice the plan of Jesus in verse 19. He says, then charge he his disciples that they should tell no man who he was. And verse number 21, it says, from this time forth, from this time forth, Jesus began to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. He laid it all out to them. Here's where I'm going. Here's my plan. Here's what's going to happen. So that day in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus in reality stood up. This was the watershed moment in his ministry. 
He had a lot of popularity. Ah, he can feed people out of a basket. Like, this is amazing. He can walk on water. This is amazing. He had all these, ex- these explosive miracles that caused people to be like, yeah, that, I don't know who he is, but yeah, we like that. But from this point on, Jesus sets his eyes towards the cross. Begins to lead his disciples to understanding, I'm going to the cross. Beforehand, people wanted to make him the king, their, their national leader, their national savior, sit on the throne of David and, and, and rule over us and release our, our grip uh, from the Roman tyranny, release our grip from the, 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 the big people that have a monopoly over us, release our, um, the grip of those people on us. At this moment, he begins to focus towards the cross and he'd lose popularity really fast. The idea that the church is always popular is an indication that a church is not standing for the Lord Jesus Christ. So he begins to go to the cross. It would be his death that he just announced to his disciples that it would be the way, Acts 20, 28, he would purchase the church. That's a big thing. You are here today because Christ paid for you by his death. Wow. I didn't think he loved me. Oh, he loves you. Well, what if I mess up as his child? Oh, he loves you. He loves you. You can't mess up more than his love. Isn't that amazing? I was thinking I would see a few more smiles on the face on that one. Peter didn't like this, right? Verse number 22. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine rebuking Jesus? Have you ever rebuked God? Hold on now. You probably all have. I can identify with Peter. God, what are you doing? He says, be it far from thee, Lord. This shall not be unto thee. Verse 23, but he turned and said, Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me. Wait a minute, you just blessed him before, and now you're saying, uh, Satan, you are an offense to me, for thou savest the thing, uh, not the things that be of God, but those things that be of men. Listen, Peter, you're looking at this from a man's standpoint. You think that my death is going to stop the church. You don't want to hear anything about it. He says, get thee behind me, Satan. Satan is influencing you right now to think in the wrong way. Wow. When we don't take Jesus at his word... Satan can influence us in the wrong way. Happened right there with, I mean, moments after he spoke his word. The Bible says in Philippians 2 and verse number 8, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know, God's way is not always going to make sense to us. How many of you are with me on that one this, this week? I don't know what God's doing. Hope he's up to something good. He told us we had the blessed hope, right? God's way doesn't always make sense. And Peter didn't make sense. But God's way is the only way it's going to happen. He had to go to the cross. He had to go to the cross and he had to die in our, our place. What if, what if the weeks of uh, like this and what if this past year has all been God working in the American church and in churches like Grace Baptist Church to cause us to realize we need God and we we don't need anything else but Jesus Christ and as long as we'll stick close to him we'll be all right 
What if, what if right now God is preparing to bring the greatest revival to our land? You say, I don't know. I hear a lot of people say that revival is not possible. Do you realize that the book of Habakkuk, uh, the last prayer in the book of Habakkuk was this? God, in the midst of your judgment, would you show mercy and revive your people? I'm going to pray that. What we have seen even this week is nothing more than the hand of God upon our nation. The turmoil. I don't care what side you're on. You know that we can, we can see something's not right. Any nation that says, we don't want God. I say, okay. I'll withhold my blessing. We can kill babies. I said don't kill. But, no, I said don't kill. Marriages between a man and a man, a woman and a woman, and, no, 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 I said in the beginning, right in the first chapter, that marriages between a man and a woman, you can't change a natural law. The stupidity of our nation, and I do mean that, to think that they can thumb their nose at God and make a law, just because the United States puts it on their law books, that marriage can be between man and a man or a woman and a woman, it's, it's all right. It's just because of the way we love. Do you realize how even, even that statement might strike your heart a little bit like, oh, that's not politically correct? Friends, the Bible's never been politically correct. We have thumbed our nose at God. And it's about time the church realizes we're not, we're not here down here playing games. This gathering together isn't just something that we do. This is something God has called us to and he's privileged us with. And he's purchased it with his own blood. If someone does something, if someone dies in your place, aren't we a little indebted to him? Yeah, some, sometimes we, we live our Christian life like Jesus is indebted to us. Now, he owes us nothing. We deserve hell. We owe him everything. May the church of Jesus Christ be revived. We need a, we need a mighty revival. There is no way forward without revival. And you say, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't believe that. Friends, listen, I, I pray, I pray for you. I pray that God will open up your heart. We have lived so far below the standard of what God has wanted. He says, I purchased you with my own blood. I died for you. This is the way that I was going to make it possible for you to sing and rejoice and have a, a reconciled relationship with the Father. Is through my, my death, I did this for you. And oh, how we need a revival of realizing this was the plan of God and, and how we need, to, uh, we need to respond in love and commitment back to him. And here's what I want us to look in verse number 24. Then Jesus said unto this, uh, his disciples, all right, just remember, Peter said, no, you can't die. You can't go to the cross. This isn't a good way. Not at all. He says, I'm going to the cross. That's the way the church is going to be built. Jesus would sacrifice on behalf of the church. And the next, the next verses, the next four verses, is Jesus saying, and now I need you to sacrifice on behalf of me. That's where we've gone off. 
He already did his sacrifice. And you know why the church is where it is today? And I speak generally, but even of us specifically. Why? 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 I told, of you, told you of India and the song that rose out of their heart. Do you know why? Because they're singing from sacrifice. They didn't all have cars to get to church. They didn't have heat or air conditioning. They didn't have meat and potatoes and all the different things that we have on a regular basis over there. They don't have all that stuff. They have God and they've sacrificed from him, for him and they, they realize that he is worth the sacrifice. And so Jesus says his plan was going to require his own death on our behalf, but our sacrifice on his behalf. And so he says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whosoever will save his life. Aha, I'm going to hold on to my life. He says, that man's going to lose it. All his potential, all his ambition, everything at the end of his life, it's going to be vain for him to have chased after saving and getting the most out of life. And he says he's going to lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospels shall save it. You say, well, the church requires too much of me. Or Are you saying that what Jesus said right here, that if you'll give yourself to him completely and lose your life in his body, in his person, that, that you're, not going to, you're not going to experience the blessing he's talking about right here, where he says, for my sake, that person's going to find it. The reason there are so many believers that are wandering aimlessly is because they've never discovered the fact that the, the chasing after the world and trying to get the most out of life isn't the way to get life. The way to get life is to pursue Jesus Christ. And could I call you to a year of pursuing Jesus Christ and, and taking him at his word? And there might be some things that need to change in your life. I, I, I won't say might. There are some things that need to change in your life. This year. He goes on. For what is it profit a man, verse 26, if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in his glory his, uh, of his Father with his angels, and then they sh uh, he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there shall be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So he's, listen, guys, there's going to need to be a sacrifice here, but I'm coming back, I'm coming back, I'm coming back. Bearing the cross means to die to self. Bear Christ's reproach. Well, I don't want to. I just want to kind of blend in and, and kind of secretly get the gospel to them. No, that's not the way that Christ, on Christ builds his church. He says, bear my reproach. Well, I don't want to be that different. That is one of the things that has nullified the influence of the church in America. You go into churches, you cannot tell the difference between a rock band and a gathering. You go through Walgreens, you hear the same music they play inside the church just with different words. We've Christianized it. In fact, you can go into some bookstores, and if you like this secular band, you'll probably like this Christian band. You realize they're making money off of that? You realize the Christian music business in America is making scores of dollars? This isn't about worshiping Jesus Christ. This is about getting money out of your pocket into theirs. 
swindling in the name of Christianity. It's the reason you say, well, your music around here is a little bit different. You know what? It's all right, because we are different because we follow Jesus Christ. It's a big problem. And Jesus hits the nail on the head. If you try to just go out there and be like them, it isn't the way I'm going to build my church. You have to take up your cross and deny yourself. You have to follow after me. Jesus called people to follow him, and there was only one place he was going. It was a cross. The true nature of spiritual living involves sacrifice, duty, and commitment. Do you think that following Jesus Christ is just a cakewalk? Walk through the tulips? It's not. He told him when he promised to build his church, it wouldn't be that. It's going to require sacrifice. You say, does he say that somewhere? Well, he said it here, but Philippians 1 and verse 29, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on his name. Yes, to get to have salvation and not go to hell. What a wonderful thing. Praise God. And the next part of the verse says, but also to suffer for his sake. We haven't known suffering, but we're about to. And it is our privilege. You say, that bear out anywhere else in the world? Yeah, China has 97 million believers. It is on the fast track to becoming the number one Christian nation in the world. Wait a minute, that's not the reports I hear on CNN. No, you won't. Do you know why? Because when the church of God, when the body of Christ is squeezed, one man said it very well, it grows. You know, during this pandemic, I was super convicted by how the, the believers in Wuhan responded. They didn't respond with less church. They amped up. Though they had to do some of the same things we did and meet online, they didn't respond with less. They amped up. They were having, and as the pastor said, it was like Sunday every day. They didn't have to go to work because they were told to stay home. So they were meeting with one another and fellowshipping with one another, encouraging one another and growing in strength in the Lord. Do you realize they didn't take time off through the pandemic? They increased. Well, over in America, many churches said, well, I guess it's fold-up shop. There are some pastors that haven't preached a message in months. What in the world is going on in the church of the living God? I look at what they're experiencing over in China, and we fear the persecution. They look at this persecution as an opportunity just to continue forward for the Lord. They live their life in persecution. Play for you a, a video testimony from the pastor in Wuhan. It's hard for myself to imagine my past life. I called myself a rat kid. I used to be a communist, an atheist, Marxist. My conversion story can properly sum up in one verse. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Even though your sin is as red as scarlet, I will make it as white as snow. 
that color red has a double meaning for me personally. My life used to be dominated by that red authority, communist regime. The climate for Christians in China is uh, like going through a bitter winter. The government won't install facial recognition cameras in our sanctuary. Of course, we refuse that unreasonable demand. Then they installed cameras at the lobby of our church building. That camera can gather the private data of our church members, and then they can target our church members to intimidate them. They will intimidate them with their jobs, their housings, and their children's education to prevent them from going to church. In 2018, this new regulation on religious affairs took effect. Several prominent house churches in China were shut down. Hundreds of policemen raided our church, smashed our building, put the pastors on the civilians, and shut down the church. The level of persecution in China is at its worst level since the Cultural Revolution in 1960s and 70s. We are so united together like never before. We have a revival in our church. A lot of our brothers and sisters are so encouraged by this experience, even in the severe persecution. After my church was shut down by the government, the first sermon I preached is from uh, Revelation chapter 3, um, verses 7 and 8. I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Even though the persecution is intensifying, there are a lot of brothers and sisters still be very faithful, very brave to testify the glory of Jesus Christ. respond to a, a threat and being scared off and allowing our voices to be silenced and to be quieted and draw back isn't what's happening with believers in these persecuted nations. I believe right now God is about ready to bring us through a revival of his church and more specifically I believe Grace Baptist Church. I'm not here to play games. Lord, call and put me in another place if that's the, the spirit or the general culture of this place. I don't believe it is, though. I've seen God growing here. Those pictures through the, through the, through the time of live streaming, seeing folks sitting and taking the word from home, that immensely encourages me about the, the strength. But it's not time to, to draw back. Say, what if they what if they silence us? What if what if what if someone goes to jail? Okay. 
okay? Jesus said, I will build my church and nothing's going to prevail against it, not even death. And it was Tertullian, one of the early church fathers that said this, that the, the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the saints, seed of the church. It's always been through death and sacrifice that Christ has built his church. That's not popular. And my question is, will you take Jesus at his word? We preached last week about fear. And we fear because we fail to take Jesus at his word. Are you fearing about the future? God's plan has not changed. His word has not changed. His mission has not changed in the world. Nothing that happens that you will watch in the news this week makes an, just even an inkling of difference in his purpose and his mission and in his promise. Nothing. And may I say this? Nothing that happens in your life this week, no crisis, nothing that happens in your life this week stops his promise from being true. It's still true. He says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so my question to you is, will you take him at his word? And will you step forward into this year with a heart of, that is surrendered to sacrifice for Christ? And, and how that might look for you right now is, is simply a prayer as we close. Lord, I don't know that I'm fully ready for sacrifice. That honestly scares me. But I pray that by your grace, I would be faithful to you, even if it requires very difficult sacrifice. But I'm with you all the way through because I believe you promised me that you would build your church. And I want to be a part of that. I don't want to be a passive bystander. I want to be a part of that. Every time he builds his church, he's adding to his church. He's growing us spiritually. He's edifying us. He's helping us to grow up into him. We can be a part of that. He's the builder. I'm not. I'm not. We've had our eyes in the wrong place. A lot of churches look at the pastor as the builder of the church. In fact, I often hear that. The pastor came to town and the church grew. <laughs> I don't have enough strength or enough brains to build anything here. My eyes are on Jesus. And I want your eyes to be on him too. And you know what? I think, I think that's what Jesus is trying to do in our lives. And he needed to take me to India to help me realize that we don't have to have all the things we think we have to have. We just need to get our eyes right there. Believe his promise. Step forward. Will you do that with me? By God's grace, would you do everything in your effort to be back tonight? Okay? Let's pray and ask God. Let's spend a few moments in prayer. Father, I don't know the hearts of everyone in here. Uh, I really am encouraged by just the sweet spirit. Lord, I pray that you would bind us closer and closer together. Protect us as we do your will. But bind us closer and closer together to you and then to each other. Uh, Lord, if there's someone that's not saved yet here this morning, I pray that this morning they confess you. And then, Lord, I pray that each one of us would surrender surrender in our hearts to sacrifice for you whatever the cost that we'll go with you in this incredible mission you've promised to do 
you would build your church. So help us, Lord. I'm asking you. You're the shepherd. I'm not. You're the shepherd. You're the builder of this church. I'm asking you to build Grace Baptist Church. Build me. Lord, we need you. Our city needs you. They're confused about you. Lord, would you do this building? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand in an attitude of prayer? And I'm going to invite you to find a place to pray, either here at the front. I encourage you to kneel. Lord, I will take you at your word. Father, from a heart as best as I know how, I'm surrendering to, do, uh, to give everything for you, to surrender to you. anyone here that would say, Pastor, I don't know for certain that I'm saved. I, don't, I haven't confessed Jesus Christ. But I'd like to be like Peter. I'd like to confess that Jesus Christ is God. I, I believe that. I see that from the word this morning. I confess that. I'd like to be saved. I'd like to know for certain that when, I'm, when I die that I'll spend eternity in heaven. Is there anyone like that? No one looking around? You just raise your hand. I'm not certain that I'm saved, but I'd like to be. I'd like to be. Amen. Anyone else? How many of you as believers would say, Pastor, my heart is right exactly where, where you've brought us this morning. I want to take Jesus at his word and my desire is to step forward into this year with a heart surrendered to sacrifice for Christ. That is my heart. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but that's my heart. Can I see your hand? Amen. Well, God can change this city through you. Amen. He can change your workplace through you. That type of heart, he can change your family. This isn't something you can do. Don't go out of here and put this on your to-do list. This isn't something you can do. Go out of here and make some time where you can get alone with God. Dear Jesus, we need you. You are the builder. We announce that today boldly. We declare that. That's who you are. We accept it. This is your promise. This isn't something we thought up. This is you. And now, Lord, we ask that you would help us to walk with your word, believing it, that, that you will do what you said you would do for Grace Baptist Church, not for just a nebulous church across America. We're, we're, we're talking, Lord, we, we believe that you want to do this at Grace Baptist Church. Lord, I pray that you would stir something here that none of us have experienced, that none of us have, have seen, that it would go far beyond our experience, that you would begin to draw to this place uh, people that have a desire to follow you and are willing to sacrifice for you, that they would see that as the lost would walk into this building, that they would see in us a heart that is taking you at your word and ready to sacrifice for you no matter what. That we're willing to, we're willing to spend a night in jail. We're willing to be ostracized. We're willing to be kicked off or kicked out of the, the public square. We're willing to take reproach for your name. Lord, I pray that you would do this work in our lives. And I pray that you would, Lord, I already know you're going to walk through this year with us, so thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you for your presence. You said you'd be with us to the end of the age. Thank you. Thank you for each one of my brothers and sisters in Christ this morning. I pray that you bless them and just encourage their heart with you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.